All right, let's take our Bibles and turn to the book of Genesis chapter 3. Genesis chapter 3. Going through these precious scriptures and this third chapter of Genesis in, in particular, Satan has beguiled Eve and she being deceived has taken of the forbidden fruit. She gave it to her husband. He took it. The eyes of them both were opened. Their understanding, their mind. Now they behold by experience evil. They just died. They died spiritually. As soon as Adam ate of that fruit, they died. Fellowship with God, gone. Guilt, shame, fear is now the order of the day. The Lord in mercy calls and said, Adam, where are you? Obviously not out of ignorance, but he's going to compassionately, graciously bring Adam to an understanding, realization of his state now. Here we're taught that God must and does seek out his lost sheep. This is not the question of a policeman, one who now is going to question the issue of the law, the broken law, but what it is, it is the merciful shepherd seeking his sheep. Now, being naked, fearful, which the Lord obviously knew, the Lord asked Adam, Have you eaten of the tree whereof I commanded that thou shouldest not eat? Every object of God's mercy is going to be brought to this place where he's going to take responsibility for what he's done. Just like David did when he took Bathsheba, God sent a prophet, Isaiah 51.3, For I acknowledge my transgressions, and my sin is ever before me against thee and thee only have I sinned and done this evil in, thou, in thy sight. Here is, the, here is the voice, here's the heart that has been touched, made new by Almighty God. A vessel of God's mercy says, I'm the problem. I have sinned against God. Then the Lord asked Eve, what is this that thou hast done? And now we see the reality of mankind's rebellion. All have sinned and come short of the glory of God. And now being dead, now here, here they are, they're dead. They're dead. And dead in trespasses and sins, immediately we behold the effects of being dead in trespasses and sins. Now they're ashamed, they're guilty, and they refuse to accept the responsibility. 
It's not my fault. Adam was asked by the Lord, Did you eat? Eve was asked, What is this that thou hast done? And then the scripture declares that Adam went so far as to not only accuse his wife, well, the woman, but also insinuated that God was the first cause of his rebellion that thou hast given me. The woman that you gave me. That's the problem. Eve did the same thing. She blamed the serpent. Now, the just and holy God has set forth now in our scriptures today the reality of judgment. What sin deserves. And we're going to hear now, and I'm going to try to deal with a few verses. I'm going to look at verses 14 to 16. I'm not going to deal with the whole curse. I, I just don't think that time will allow it. But I'm going to look at this first part of the curse. I'm going to see what God said to Satan, what he said to Eve. And then, Lord willing, next time we'll look and see what he said to Adam and what God did. But for today, we're going to behold the, the message of the gospel. The first gospel message that's ever recorded in scriptures. It starts right here. And the Lord begins by dealing with the first cause of man's rebellion. Verse 14, he says, And the Lord God said unto the serpent, Because thou hast done this, thou art cursed above all cattle, above every beast of the field, Upon thy belly shalt thou go, and dust shalt thou eat all the days of thy life. Now, from the wording of Scripture, it, it seems that the devil actually entered into the body of a creature. Now, whether it was a serpent as we know it, a snake... And I think it was. And I'll tell you why in just a minute. I think it was actually, the devil was referred to as that old serpent. But he's entered into a, a creature. He's, he's come into an, an actual animal. And uh, just like Satan entered into, and, and you can read it if you want to, Luke 22. When Satan entered into Judas... Luke 22, the scriptures declare, verses 1 to 6. Now the feast of unleavened bread drew nigh, which is called the Passover. And the chief priests and scribes sought how they might kill him, for they feared the people. Then entered Satan into Judas, surnamed Iscariot, being of the number of the twelve. Now Satan... Satan actually entered into him. And it says, And he went his way, that is Judas, and communed with the chief priests and captains how he might betray him unto them. And they were glad and covenanted to give him money. And he promised and sought opportunity to betray him unto them in the absence of the multitude. He's going to do this thing under stealth. It's going to be secretive. But that Satan can enter into, you know, a creature. Obviously he did. 
He did in the garden and he did in Judas. That's what the scripture said. So Satan was filled this 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 serpent. Again, I'll tell you why I think it was. And uh, just like he entered into Judas with with the the purpose to do what he did. And and the curse now well we just read. Because the Lord said unto the serpent, Because thou hast done this, thou art cursed above all cattle. Now, the, the, the curse that was pronounced upon Satan had its effect not only upon Satan, but upon the serpent, the, the actual natural snake that he inhabited. Now, obviously, the physical serpent, I have to differentiate so you don't misunderstand what I'm talking about. The physical serpent, the natural snake, had had no part in the temptation. He, uh, meaning, he didn't connive it. He didn't, you know, plant it. But being inhabited by Satan, God rightly and justly punished not only Satan and cursed him, but also punished the creature being used of the devil for his, for God's glory and, and for the, the good of God's people. And the effect of the curse is seen today. You know how the scripture says, you know, uh, nature declares the handiwork of God. Well, the effect of the curse is seen today when we behold a snake crawling on its belly. Now, we, uh, we have absolutely no right to question what the Lord did in cursing Satan or the creature. We have no right. You know, who art thou, old man, that replies against God? Somebody said, well, I don't see why God would do that. Well, again, it <laughs> what difference does it make what we think? That the Lord did it. The natural snake's part in the curse, being inhabited by Satan, shouldn't present any more of a difficulty to us than the Lord's cursing the earth, which, Lord willing, we'll look at next time. Cursing the earth for Adam's sake. What did the earth do? God cursed it. The result of God's curse upon Satan and that physical serpent ought to remind every man of the temptation and the fall of mankind in the garden. Snakes crawl on their belly and eat dust all the days of their life because man is a rebel against God by nature. Every time you see a snake, every time a man or woman sees a snake, crawling around on their belly. This is what the Lord said. The Lord said unto the serpent, Because thou hast done this, thou art cursed above all cattle, but every beast of the field upon thy belly shalt thou go, and dust shalt thou eat all the days of thy life. Every time we see a snake, we are without excuse. No excuse. I, I read where some think that it was that the snake obviously at one time, maybe was upright, maybe it had feet. That, that, that's, you're guessing, you're guessing. 
Maybe he did, maybe he didn't. I don't know. But now it's cursed. When you see a serpent, it's, it's cursed, it's disgusting, it's despised, and it continually speaks of the fall. There's nothing, there's nothing that is more repulsive concerning an animal than a snake. You see it now. And, and to the devil who inhabited the serpent, the Lord asked no explanation from him. He asked Adam, where are you? He asked Eve, what is this that thou hast done? He didn't say anything but the serpent except you're cursed. Why is that? Because there's no possibility. There's no repentance that's going to be granted. No salvation to, to the angels, to the fallen angels. Satan was a fallen angel and the Lord never promised to redeem or save the fallen angels. The scripture says, Hebrews 2.16, He verily took not on him the nature of angels, but he took on him the seed of Abraham. So there's no possibility of salvation for Satan and those angels that fell with him. Jude chapter 1 verse 6 says, And the angels, which kept not their first estate, but left their own habitation, he hath reserved in everlasting chains under darkness unto the judgment of the great day. So therefore, the Lord, in absolute justice, judgment, condemned, cursed Satan. And then the Lord, continuing his curse upon Satan, said in verse 15, and I will put enmity between thee and the woman, and between thy seed and her seed. And it, and that word it right there, I'm telling you, it, and every concordance there I find agrees with this. Actually, that word right there is he, he, he. He shall bruise thy, he, thy head, and thou shalt bruise his heel. Now, here is, here's, here is part of the curse. The Lord said, I will put enmity between you and the woman. And naturally speaking, if you want to consider that, that's fine. That's, that's true too. But spiritually, between Satan and his seed and the woman and her seed, it was absolute promised that, that for this reason... God was going to put enmity between both, naturally and spiritually. So we know this because the Lord said, I will put enmity between you and the woman. Well, we know that there is a, uh, a war, a spiritual war going on. God said, I, I, I did that. I did it. And we know this, that the result or the end of this battle, this war is not in question, not, not any question about it. There's no questions for us what's going to come out. Revelation 12, 9, and the devil, and the great dragon, I'm sorry, was cast out, that old serpent called the devil, and Satan, which deceiveth the whole world. He was cast out into the earth, and his angels were cast out with him. It's, it's a battle that shall never end until the Lord comes back the second time, receives all of his people unto himself. It's a, it's a spiritual battle. And it's a spiritual battle that's, that's being waged between the seed of Satan and his followers and the seed of the woman, that is the Lord of glory, 
and his people. Now it's a warfare that is not fought with conventional weapons. The scripture says, for though we walk in the flesh, we do not war after the flesh. For the weapons of our warfare are not carnal, being mighty through God to the pulling down of strongholds, casting down imaginations, and every high thing that exalteth itself against the knowledge of God, and bringing into captivity every thought to the obedience of Christ. That's 2 Corinthians 10, 3-5. So, the scripture says, the Lord told Satan, I'm going to put enmity between thee and the woman, and your seed and her seed, and he shall bruise thy head, and thou shalt bruise his heel. Now, the scripture declares that we're not walking after the flesh. We're walking in the flesh. What does that mean? Well, that means that we're walking in this world in a body of imperfection. That's what it means. We're, we're, we're not walking after the flesh, after the dictates of the flesh, after the thoughts of the flesh, after the hungerings of this soul. But we are actually walking in the flesh. So, so we, we're, we're struggling. We're in a battle, and we're struggling, uh, struggling with our fleshly weakness, our infirmities. But the glory of God is the desire of a believer. We're, 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 not, we're not after the flesh, we're in the flesh, but our hope is Christ alone. So we're engaged in a battle, spiritual battle, and we don't and we can't use the principles or methods of the world. It's just, it's just not the way. I, uh, I, I got a phone call just a little while ago, and uh, someone said to me, I, you know, I'm calling to, uh, you know, we're going to have a, we're going to get uh, 24, trying to get 24 churches uh, to agree to, uh, to uh, covenant together uh, in the month of October. And what we want to do is get 24 churches and, and get the pastors of those 24 churches to agree to pick out people within the congregation that will agree to for 24 hours a day. You take a slot. You take a slot, 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 slot. For 24 hours a day, for that entire, uh, you know, month of those days assigned. I don't know why it's 24, but it's 24. And uh, what we want to do is have continual prayer going up to God so that we can take Fairmont and turn this whole thing around by us bombarding and just... I, I just said I'm not interested. I, no, that 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 is not that's not something that you know that you know what that that is. That's pride. That's pride. I'll tell you why. Because you just let me take the time. Let me have the time. You know, for me from say one thirty to two fifteen in the morning or whenever it is. And you know what I want to do. First thing I want to do, I want to tell you. I want to make sure you know that I was that I was one. No, if we're going to pray, what did the Lord say? You enter into your closet in secret. In secret. 
And you pray unto your Father in secret. And the Father that hears in secret is going to reward you openly. If you want to have your reward, tell somebody what you're doing. Put your name out on the list, out on their bulletin board. Let's see. Oh, wow. <laughs> Look when Marvin's coming. No. We're, we don't walk after the flesh. We're in it. But the Scripture declares, you want to turn over to Ephesians. Read this many times. Ephesians 6. What does the Scripture say? Ephesians chapter 6 concerning this battle that, that we're in. The weapons of our warfare. Ephesians chapter 6, verse 12. For we wrestle not, Ephesians 6, 12. We wrestle not against flesh and blood, but against principalities, against powers, against the rulers of darkness of this world, against spiritual wickedness or wicked spirits in high places or heavenly places. Now, let me ask you this. How are you going to war against a spirit with a conventional weapon? What do you think a stick or a gun or a knife, what do you think it's going to do? We don't wrestle against flesh and blood. Wherefore, take unto you the whole armor of God that you may be able to withstand in the evil day and having done all to stand. Now, here's the weapons that believers have. Stand, therefore, having your loins girt about with truth. What, what is the weapon of our warfare? It, number one, it's the truth of God. What a, who is he? Who are you? That's what Saul of Tarsus. Who art thou, Lord? It's the truth. Tell me who God is. Having your loins girt about with truth and having on the breastplate of righteousness... Whose? Ours? These filthy rags? No. Stand. Know that you stand in the righteousness of Christ. This is the only, that's the only righteousness that is accepted. I'm standing here in Him alone. And, and, and your feet shod with the preparation of the gospel of peace. We, we, we're grounded and we stand and we preach the gospel. The power of God unto salvation. Now this is how our battle is waged. In, in truth, in His righteousness, preaching the gospel. And above all, taking the shield of faith. This is, this is the, the faith of God's elect. Faith that is given. Faith that not all men have. God must give me faith to believe Him. You take the shield of faith where thy, you may be able to quench all the fiery darts of the wicked. We're in a real battle. And, and we're really having fiery darts. Uh, they come from everywhere. You know, make through somebody or something. You know, how are we going to quench those fiery darts? I believe God. I believe that God Almighty is ordering all things after the counsel of His own will. And whatever is, is allowed by the Lord to come my way, God's going to take care of me. God's going to put, put this armor and I can quench the fiery darts and take the helmet of salvation. Salvation that is by the grace of God. Salvations of the Lord. Not salvation by man's works. Take the helmet of salvation, the word of the Spirit, the sword of the Spirit, which is the word of God. And listen to this. Here's, here's, a, here's another weapon. Verse 18. Praying always with all prayer and supplication in the Spirit and watching thereunto with all perseverance and supplication for all the saints. Now, this, the world doesn't know anything about this, this kind of warfare. 
God's people believe God. Now the Lord told Satan, He said, I'm going I'm to put enmity between you and, and the woman and between her seed. And, and He said, it's, it's going to be a battle. So from the time of man's fall in the garden, God's curse upon Satan and, and his seed. There's been a real battle. There's a conflict that's being fought to this day. Now, in the declaration of these two seeds, I'm going to put enmity between thee and the woman, and thy seed and her seed. Now, let me tell you something. Just in that statement right there, the Lord made a, a difference. He declared a difference. Satan and his seed, the woman and her seed, and that, that means that there's two different kinds of people. And my, my only question is this, do we not behold God's glorious sovereignty and right in electing and predestinating grace? God Almighty established there's going to be a battle between Satan and his seed and the woman and her seed. His, he has the right. Hath not the potter over power over the clay of the same lump to make one vessel unto honor, another unto dishonor. The scripture declares the earth is the Lord's and the fullness thereof, they that dwell therein. That's Psalm 24.1. So whatever the Lord does is right. And here the scripture declares that there's, there's two types. Seed of the devil, seed of the woman. The world and God's elect. And there's enmity between them. So, but what is this enmity all about? What's it over? There's, there's enmity. There's a battle that's going on. But what is it all about? Well, here's, here's what it's all about right here. Who rules? Who rules? Who's in control? Who's God? Who's God? Satan's desire was revealed and the Lord told the Pharisees, He said, You are of your father the devil. But here's here's the basis. Isaiah fourteen thirteen, for thou hast said in thine heart, I will ascend into heaven, I will exalt my throne above the stars of God, I will sit also upon the mount of the congregation in the sides of the north. And that desire to have and to exercise a free will. What, what, did I, what I mean? I mean a will that is separate and opposed to God's will. That is the natural inclination of a carnal heart. So the seed of the devil. And we don't know who they are. I don't know who God's elect are. But I can tell you this. The seed of the devil, just like the seed of the woman. That is Christ, the seed, and all found in him is going to be shown by before they leave this world, whoever they are, they're either going to die in rebellion against God, believe in a false gospel, or they're going to be made willing in the day of God's power and they're going to bow to the Lord Jesus Christ. So that's how they're going to be known. He that believeth hath life. That seed, the seed of the woman... That Galatians 3.16 tells us who it is. Now to Abraham and his seed were the promises made. 
he saith not to seeds as of many, but as one to thy seed, which is Christ. So the Lord Jesus Christ was not conceived by a carnal man. The Holy Spirit conceived him. So it was said to be the seed of the woman. So that, that enmity that is now found between Satan and the woman and between the seed of Satan and the, the uh, reprobates and the Lord himself is his, and his bride, is, that it's, the, the end is going to be a struggle all the way to the end of Satan's uh, demise and all of his people. It says, And he shall bruise thy head, and thou shalt bruise his heel. Now, the enmity is truly a struggle for God's people. It's, it's, it's a real struggle. But the remedy was and could only be accomplished by the Lord Jesus Christ who came into this world to save his people. 1 John 3.8 says, He that committeth sin is of the devil. For the devil sinneth from the beginning for this purpose. The Son of God was manifest that he might destroy the works of the devil. I can tell you right now, Satan's head is going to be crushed. It's going to be bruised. Hebrews 2.14 says, For as much then as the children are partakers of flesh and blood, he also himself likewise took part of the same, that through death he might destroy him that had power of death, that is, the devil. So this, this truth is that Satan is going to be cast out. He's going to, his head's going to be destroyed. That, that was declared by God. He said, he shall bruise your head. But then he said, but thou shalt bruise his heel. Now, here was the Lord's promise to his people. Those who had fallen in the garden that he would redeem, he was going to redeem them by his power and his purpose. And when the Lord was made sin for his people and died under the wrath of God's judgment, being made sin, he truly died. It was there that Satan's head was bruised. It was there. It was, it was Satan's head was bruised at Calvary. And the amazing thing in the bruising of Satan's head was that the Lord himself was the one that bruised the Son. God bruised him, yet it pleased the Lord. This is Isaiah 53.10. It pleased the Lord to bruise him. And when the Lord bruised him, he put him to grief. When thou shalt make his soul an offering for sin, he shall see his seed. He shall prolong his days, and the pleasure of the Lord, that is to save a people from their sins, shall prosper in the hands of Christ, in his hand. So the Lord promised Satan, he said, he's going to bruise your head. How did he do it? Whenever Christ was made sin and hung upon that, willingly hung upon that cross, being the absolute substitute of his people. And God bruised him. It pleased the Lord to bruise him. 
and he bruised Satan's hand, head. So it, bruising of Satan's head was an act of sovereign mercy to God's people, but a sovereign act of God's wrath and justice. I'm a just God and a Savior. The Scripture says in Colossians 2.15, And having spoiled principalities and powers, he made a show of them openly, triumphing over them in it or in himself. So here's, here's Satan's head's bruised. But how is it that the Lord's heel was bruised? I shall bruise his heel. Well, it, it was the only thing that Satan could do to him. And that by God's permission. The devil couldn't bruise the Lord's head. Satan couldn't do that. God bruised him and, and him being made sin. But that's when Satan's head was bruised. But concerning the devil, in, in this life upon the earth, when the Lord was made flesh, he was buffeted. He was he was blasphemed, he was ridiculed by the mouths and by the actions that opposed him. He was buffeted. But in that buffeting, God said that's just his heel being bruised. And his people, which are his body, that's him. The Lord said, you do it unto the least of one of these, my brethren. You do it to me. Are we not being bruised? And I heal, but what power does Satan have over us to destroy us? None. There's no destruction in the bruising of the heel. Now you you crush somebody's head, now you've got a problem. But their heel, no. Verse 16, unto the woman, he said, I will greatly multiply thy sorrow and thy conception. In sorrow thou shalt bring forth children. And thy desire shall be to thy husband, and he shall rule over thee. Now, certainly, the Lord now continues to set forth the result of Eve's part in the transgression. He, he first declared that she was going to suffer many sorrows in conception and in childbearing. That's, he, he said two things. I will greatly multiply thy sorrow and thy conception. <coughs> and so the woman had listened to Satan's temptation. And now she's going to bear a result of her listening. She's now going to be experiencing in conception and birth sorrow and pain. And, and, and certainly that first part of, you know, and, and secondly, I'll, about subjection to her husband, I'll, I'll tell you about that in a minute. Certainly that first part of God's declaration is to the woman is that she's going to, to go through tribulation in the pregnancy and in the birth. And I've never experienced that, you women that have, you know that there's the problems don't just start the day of the birth. I mean, there's problems throughout. And so every time that a woman is going through uh, travail in the pregnancy or in, in the birth, there's a reminder. God God's left us a witness. This is, this is the result of 
man's rebellion in the garden. So she she goes through tribulation and trials in 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 conception and in birth, and then it says, "And thy desire shall be to thy husband, and he shall rule over thee." Now I, I know this day of uh, you know um, women's liberation and and all this kind of stuff, but it doesn't change what God has set forth as far as the divine order of things. The Scripture declares. Because Eve listened to the devil, her desire would be to her husband. Now, I'm going to tell you what it's really meaning. It means that now she is in subjection to him, that is looking to and clinging to her husband for all of her needs. She acted independently. She didn't call her husband. You know, hold on just a second. Let me go, let me go get my husband and ask him what what we need to do right here. Was that temptation? No. She handled it. She handled it. She thought. And now the Lord said, now you're going to be in subjection. Thy desire shall be to thy husband, and he shall rule over thee. Now, the reason that, that the man is the head of the woman is from the result of the fall. This is the re- this is the reason. Well, why should a man be in, in the head of the what? But he, I mean, it's, I'm not. He doesn't. He doesn't. You know, browbeater. I'm not talking about that. I'm talking about there is a divine order between a man and his wife, between a man and a woman, and this is what it is. Because she listened to the devil. Now here's here is the woman's place in. The, in society, in the church, in the home, it, it, when it comes to the assembly right here, uh, the woman, it says in 1 Timothy 2, 11 and 12, let the woman learn in silence with all subjection, but I suffer not a woman to teach nor usurp authority over the man, but to be in silence. Now, you show me in the scriptures where it's okay for women preachers. And I'll, uh, I'll, I'll take back what I'm about to say, but there is no place for a woman to be standing in a pulpit teaching or usurping authority over the man. Why? Because of the, the garden. Because of the fall in the garden. God's going to have a remembrance that we're going to remember. Why is the man the head of the wife in the home? Ephesians 5, 24. Wives, submit yourselves unto your own husbands as unto the Lord, for the husband is the head of the wife, even as Christ is the head of the church. He's the Savior of the body. Therefore, as the church is subject unto Christ, so let the wives be to their own husbands in everything. What political, domestic, uh, domestic you know, ecclesiastical, whatever, whatever area. The, the, the husband is to love his wife, watch over, protect her. But the place of the woman because of the fall. There's a reminder. And, and she is to be in, in subjection. Her desire shall be to her husband. And he shall rule. That is, he is the head. He's responsible. He's responsible. There we see the, the, the Lord Jesus Christ and his bride. That's what Paul said in Ephesians. He said, I, I, this is a great mystery, but I speak of church and the Christ. That's what he, uh, uh, and the bride. So that's what he's, it's all about 
teaching us our submission unto the Lord Jesus Christ as the, as the woman is in subjection to the husband. That's, that we are in subjection as, as the man is to, to rule over and to guide, not browbeat her, but guide her and direct her and be her husband, be her head. That the Lord is the head of the church. That's, that's the truth. So, but even in this sentence, in closing here, oh, the mercy of God that is found in the woman's place of submission to her husband because of the fall. This, I mean, what a, when, how merciful God was to tell Eve, you're going to have sorrow in conception in bringing forth the children. And here's, here was a merc, merciful statement. And your desire shall be to your husband. What, what a place of, of safety. What a place of ease in the Lord's sentence to the woman. The Lord set forth that the woman is, is now the weaker vessel and is to submit and be in subjection to her husband that is to love her and give himself for her. He who is to watch over her and protect her and guard her character and provide for her every need. What a place of safety. 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 Just, I mean, her husband, you know, that, that is a what, a, what a place of blessing and grace. And as Eve would now be in subjection to Adam, Again, we behold the believer's place of, subject, uh, of subjection to Christ. Christ as the woman's, the bride's husband who loved her and gave himself for her. You know, I, I, I'm appalled when I see the arrogancy of men that take that scripture right there and it's almost like they that's a little whip for them. And they're going to pop that whip right there and just say, now you listen to me. Is that love? Is that, is, that, is that giving of yourself for her? No, 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 no. I'm telling you, this is a two-way street. A woman is to be in subjection to her husband, and her husband is to love her and give himself for her. As the husbands are to be the head, provider, the protector of his wife, are we not promised that our Lord will supply all of our need according to his riches and glory by Christ Jesus? We are constantly reminded in nature and in the home of the result of the fall. I pray that the Lord might please be pleased to bless this word to our heart and cause us to hear and understand for His glory and our good. Amen.